Oh, okay. <laughs> You're listening, listening to Hold That Thought from Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. Welcome to a brand new season of Hold That Thought. I'm your host, Claire Navarro. Here's a big question to kick off the new season. What does it mean to be an American? With the huge range of social, racial, economic, and political diversity in the US, how do groups and individuals define and express their unique American identities? To tackle these types of questions, over the coming weeks, we'll be hearing from scholars of American culture. My guest for today's episode is Ivor Bernstein, professor of history and director of the American Culture Studies program here at Washington University in St. Louis. According to Bernstein, American Culture Studies has been around since at least the 1950s, but it has significantly changed over the decades. Following the Cold War, practitioners of American Studies wanted to create a unified narrative of a unified country. Today, scholars are more likely to delve into the complex and sometimes troubling stories that make up the past and present of American culture. Along these lines, several guests in this series will be discussing race and the legacy of slavery in the U.S. Bernstein's own work focuses on race in the Civil War era. For today's episode, he talks about American identities in the age of the New York draft riots. Incidents like the draft riots can reveal a lot about certain groups and individuals in U.S. history, but it's also important to remember the fundamental way that the Civil War changed the identity of the country as a whole. Here's Dr. Bernstein. This is the moment in United States history and American history when the operative phrase that people used was the United States are. The significance of the Northern victory at Gettysburg, the defeat of the slave power, was that the United States are became the United States is. You went from a, a notion of plural loyalties and plural identities to at least some kind of more credible notion of a, of a union or a unity that had been confirmed by battlefield sacrifice. Bernstein is now completing a book titled Stripes and Scars, Race, the Revitalization of America, and the Origins of the Civil War. The phrase stripes and scars comes from Harriet Jacobs, author of the 1861 narrative, Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl. Reader, be assured this narrative is no fiction. I have not exaggerated the wrongs inflicted by slavery. On the contrary. Jacobs used the phrase stripes and scars. She wanted to create a moment of auditory confusion in the listener. Notice that stripes and scars is only one letter away from the phrase stripes and stars. But by changing this one letter, Jacobs was doing more than creating a play on words. Jacobs was saying to the triumphalists of her day, the triumphal stripes and stars patriots, don't include me in your unity until you can experience a little bit of the boundary violation, the bodily violation that I have experienced as a young woman growing up in slavery in North Carolina. She wants to create that moment where the listener says stripes and stars. No, you're not saying that. You're saying stripes and scars. Pay attention to me. Understand that I have this very particular experience of suffering. The condition of two millions of women at the South, still in bondage, suffering what I suffered, 
and most of them far worse. You must own the particularity of my experience and come to understand it and empathize it before you can then go ahead and honestly proclaim any kind of meaningful American unity. This idea of American unity was also challenged during the New York draft riots of 1863. Over four days of violence, working-class New Yorkers lashed out against a policy that allowed some citizens to basically buy their way out of the Civil War draft. But there was more going on. The draft riots are a story of the powerless against the even more powerless, of the weak and defenseless against even the more weak and defenseless. The defenseless at this time included African Americans, but the idea of who was an insider or an outsider in New York went beyond simple categories of race or ethnicity. For example, newly immigrated Irish New Yorkers had their own tenuous American identities. In some ways they saw the, the Republican Party's effort to draft an army as a continuity with the kinds of oppressions that they had experienced in famine Ireland. So they took out their rage uh, during the draft riots on the Republican Party and its installations. They burned down draft offices. And the rioters' fury quickly took on another dimension, turning from a draft riot into a race riot. At this time, Irish Americans and African Americans lived and worked side by side in New York. But with the city in chaos, the Irish rioters turned against their black neighbors. It was almost like an, an act of self-annihilation for the Irish to attack their working class fellows, sometimes brethren, next to whom they toiled, but uh, whom at this moment of panic, as the butchery mounted on the fields of, of the Civil War, they came to see as, as symbols of the freedoms that they were not getting. Uh, so it became this civil war within a civil war. It is with this backdrop that we turn to the story of James W.C. Pennington. Now the first thing you need to know about Pennington is... James Pennington was an amazing guy. It's true. After escaping from slavery at the age of 19, Pennington wrote multiple books, received an honorary doctorate from the University of Heidelberg, and became a well-known and respected minister in New York. Yet, even he couldn't escape the effects of the draft riots. At the time, he was away on a teaching gig. You know, he hears about the draft riots and he flies back to New York to see how his wife and his children are doing. And uh, he comes back to his neighborhood and he sees it in ruins. Despite his insider status in New York, Pennington had to creep into his neighborhood like a fugitive, trying to find out if his family was okay. What he learns is um, very little. He's still on a hunt. He actually puts a, a, a newspaper ad in the New York Times saying, has anyone seen my wife? In one essay about the draft riots, Bernstein wrote that Pennington had been all but shorn of his identity. But what exactly would this mean for James Pennington in 1863? So what did it mean to have an identity in that world as a man, as a, a hoped-for citizen of 19th century American Republic? It meant being able to preside over a family, to be a patriarch. So in this sense, because Pennington had not been able to defend his family, the Irish aggressors really attacked his identity. And by forcing him into hiding, they also attacked another aspect of selfhood, having the right to be seen. 
And this sort of attack must have been particularly painful for a former slave. The very essence of what it means to be a slave is to be stripped of visibility. Thinking of uh, the answer to the question, well, what was American slavery? It was an effort to, to separate, to scatter, to fragment, uh, particularly collective displays of African-American peoplehood. After the draft riots, Pennington and others worked for greater visibility of African Americans. But with what results? We now turn to the end of the Civil War and the dramatic funeral procession of Abraham Lincoln. You know, it would be so nice, wouldn't it be nice if, you know, a historical um, arc or storyline ended the way we wanted it to. And we want, at the end of the Civil War, nothing would make us happier, I think, to look back and see African-American New Yorkers proudly and triumphantly joining the, the very symbolically important funeral procession. Actually, nine million people watched Lincoln's funeral train wended its way from Washington up through uh, uh, New York and then and out to Springfield, Illinois, where he was buried. It was, it was one of the great exhibitions of, of, of a free people exulting in and mourning their fallen leader. But of course, that was not to be in New York. African-Americans had to struggle to get a permit from the very much white supremacist Common Council. Unlike black processions in some other northern cities, which went unimpeded, this one was delayed to the very last minute. And it wasn't until Lincoln's funeral beer was uh, heading out of the city, heading up the Hudson River towards Albany, that African-Americans who had been delayed and delayed finally got their permission and wheeled their small contingent, small because it had been so delayed, Pennington, who had worked so hard for that visibility, for that representation, now thinking this must have been a very ambiguous conclusion to the experience of a war for freedom. Though perhaps somewhat disheartening, this ambiguous story of struggle is an appropriate starting point for our series on American identities. Because, like it or not, these stories make up American culture. And it's these stories that many professors and students of American culture studies dig into every day. The excitement, I think, of doing the work I do is that it forces one to reflect on the big storylines of American culture, which, as I say, have often been bequeathed to us in this very triumphalist mode, this very unity-based mode, but anyone who enters into the multiplicity of American culture comes to understand very quickly that unity or union of any kind was a, was a yearning, but it's one that you can't really fully appreciate unless you, unless you earn it, unless you enter into the, what I would call the deep subjectivity of the different groups that compose the the, uh, I mean, even to call it a fabric may be too, too coherent, the, the often ragged fabric of American culture. Here at Washington University in St. Louis, scholars across campus use this sort of deep subjectivity to look at the past, present, and future of the U.S. In the coming weeks, we'll hear from experts in music, literature, art history, religious studies, and more. I hope you join us. As always, you can find Hold That Thought on Facebook, on Twitter, on SoundCloud, and at thought.artsci.wustl.edu.
www.edu. I'm your host, Claire Navarro. Thanks for listening.